That is Taylor Swift's most iconic performance, in my opinion. She performed at the Grammys uh, out of the woods. One of my favorites, and the reason why I chose that particular performance to start off today's episode, Tuesday's episode of the Mistress of Pop Culture. Hi, everybody. I'm Andrew DeVitri. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's because our first story of the day is the biggest news of the day of the week, probably, um, with regards to Taylor Swift and, of course, Scooter Braun selling her masters for $300 million, And, of course, the saga continues. But anyways... One of the most poignant things, because she, of course, responded to it, she said she's in the process of re-recording a lot of her songs that she no longer has ownership of, which is so thrilling. And I, Out of the Woods is my favorite Taylor Swift song of all time. I mean, I love her whole catalog of music. It's amazing. But I don't know. There's something about Out of the Woods that really resonates with me. But the version that she does, I believe she did this in, in uh, live on tour and also at the Grammys. It's a little bit different from the version that's on the CD, and I really like it, so I hope if, in fact, she is re-recording that particular number, that it's a little bit like the concert, because it's just very ethereal and magical, and it really puts me in good spirits, and I love it so much. But anyways, I just, I just love that performance so much. You can see it on YouTube. It's Taylor Swift, um, Out of the Woods, live at the 80, 58th, excuse me, 58th Grammy Awards, um, and it's iconic, and... I'm just so happy that T-Swift is, you know, making moves happen. But anyways, happy Tuesday, everybody. I hope you're all having a great start to the week. It's a little bit scary because COVID numbers are rising and there's talk in LA about a possible uh, curfew and or prospective lockdown once again. So I naturally went out and bought a ton of paper towels and stuff because, uh, you know, uh, it's scary and stuff. But I I just think, you know, uh, with, I believe, another company this week, Pfizer announced uh, a back promising vaccine results as well as another company too, Moderna. Moderna, Moderna, I'm not quite sure, but it's all great news, but it ain't, you know, it ain't good till people can start getting their shots and stuff. But anyways, aside from that, not much new has happened since we last chatted. Um, I finished The Crown, which was really great because it's season 10 episodes of season four, but I'm really sad now because the next season doesn't start until 2022, which is two years away. And who knows what the state of the world is going to be like in 2022. But um, it was fantastic. I think I'm going to rewatch some of the episodes now because it's the start of the Diana years. I'm a huge Princess Diana fan. Um, and it was just marvelous to watch. So congratulations to Netflix and Peter Morgan and everybody, cast and crew and writers and everybody at The Crown for putting out an extraordinary season once again. Nothing uh, short of a surprise. And also Claire Foy made a cameo, which was fabulous. So, yeah. Anyways, though, without further ado, uh, since the stories are so juicy today, I have five for you. Um, let's just get into them. And our first story of the day, of course, <clears throat> excuse me, has to do with Taylor Swift. This is from TMZ. It's reported everywhere, but the particular site host that I saw it was on TMZ. Taylor Swift Rip Scooter Braun for selling her masters, not sell for me. Okay, first I'm going to read the original story, and then I'm going to, uh, you know, read her response. Um, after nearly a year and a half of beefing, Scooter Braun has said goodbye to Taylor Swift's master recordings, unloading it for a pretty penny. Scooter's company, Ithaca Holdings LLC, has reportedly sold the master rights to Taylor's first six albums to an unknown investment fund to buy a reportedly drop north of $300 million for the deal, which closed a couple of weeks ago. The deal, first reported by Variety, includes Big Machine's client roster, which includes Cheryl Crow, Florida George Line, Thomas Rhett, Rascal Flatts, and the trio formerly known as Lady Antebellum, which I believe they're now known as Lady A. The label will remain under Scooter and Scooter's control. It's unclear if the bad blood between Scooter and Taylor will dis- dissipate, which obviously, since she responded, it will. Uh, it won't. Um, there sure is a lot of bad blood. Remember, Scooter's company bought Taylor's old label, Big Machine, back in 2019. June, this, of course, pissed Taylor off, 
who ranted against Scooter for snapping up her early catalog, claiming the move blindsided her and stripped her of her life's work. Taylor, whose deal with Big Machine expired in 2018, she also accused Scooter of being an industry punk. And when she tried to sing her songs at last year's American Music Awards, Taylor claimed Scooter and Scott were blocking her. Um, uh, but anyways, so the big, the, the big news is that she responded. Uh, Taylor's ripping Scooter, <clears throat> excuse me, for selling her masters, says they, quote, were not for sale for me. Okay, I'm going to read her. Taylor just opened up on the scale in a lengthy social media post, and she didn't have a lot of good things to say about Scooter, the sale, or the process. Um, and here, I'm going to read it to you, and then we'll dissect. But this is, uh, this is very juicy. This is very dramatic. Okay. Um, I don't know where she posted this. I don't know if it was on Instagram or where it was, but anyways. I wanted to check in and update you guys. As you know, for the past year, I've been actively trying to regain ownership of my master recordings. With that goal in mind, my team attempted to enter into negotiations with Scooter Braun. Scooter's team wanted me to sign an ironclad NDA stating I would never say another word about Scooter Braun unless it was positive before we could even look at the financial records of BMLG, in parentheses, which is always the first step in a purchase of this nature. So... I would have to sign a document that would silence me forever before I could even have a chance to bid on my own work. My legal team said that is absolutely not normal and they've never seen an NDA like this presented unless it was to silence an assault accuser by paying them off. Ooh, then she put an emoji. He would never even quote my team a price. These master recordings were not for sale to me. A few weeks ago, my team received a letter from a private equity company called Shamrock Holdings, letting us know that they had bought 100% of my music videos, I'm sorry, 100% of my music videos and album art from Scooter Braun. This was the second time my music has been sold without my knowledge. Uh, The letter told me that they wanted to reach out before the sale to let me know, but Scooter, but that Scooter Braun had required that they make no contact with me or my team or the deal would be off. As soon as we started communication with Shamrock, I learned that under their terms, Scooter Braun will continue to profit off my old musical catalog for many years. I was hopeful and open to the possibility of a partnership with Shamrock, but Scooter's participation is a non-starter for me. I've recently begun re-recording my older music. This is the best. I've recently uh, begun re-recording my older music and it's already proven to be both exciting and creatively fulfilling. I have plenty of surprises in store with another like sunglass face emoji. I wanted to thank you guys for supporting me through this ongoing saga and I can't wait for you to hear what I've been dreaming up. I love you guys and I'm just going to keep cruising as I say, Taylor. P.S. For transparency and clarification, I've included the letter of response I sent on October 28th, 2020 to the private equity group that purchased my music. Then she, of course, goes on to provide that letter. Um, I mean, there's a lot to dissect here. I mean, there's been an ongoing saga between Scooter and Taylor. I don't know either one of these parties, even though I'm a huge fan of Taylor, but I'm also a huge fan of Scooter Braun because he manages huge talent, talent that I love the artistry of, like Demi Lovato, Justin Bieber. I think at one point he managed Ariana Grande. I'm not sure if he's still there. But he obviously knows what the hell he's doing. I... I know that there's bad blood, literally, between uh, these two parties, and it sucks, and I'm sure they'll never sit down and break bread together, but I do think, I, I always see both sides of every situation. I understand why Taylor is so pissed. She's every right to be, and Scooter is probably, I mean, I, I'm almost certain that Scooter knew that there would be a rebuttal post this sale. He knew probably Taylor would find out and, uh, you know, post something publicly, um, which I totally understand, so... I wonder how we go from here resolving this. I'm, I'm sure Taylor Swift has $300 million in her bank account. She's a massively successful pop star, country star, music star, sensation, global icon. Um, it just sucks that, you know, he didn't go to her and say, buy your music back. Like, I, that's what I just don't understand. And I don't, 
I don't know if he's doing it to dig at her. I don't know how the business works in the music world. I don't know why he sold her music in general. I mean, I don't know if he needed the money. I remember earlier, a couple months ago or last year or something, Taylor had mentioned that he needed the money. They were strapped for cash or something along those lines, allegedly. I don't know the specificity of it all. All I know is that I'm really excited that Taylor is re-recording her old music. I love her old music, the music that literally I essentially grew up with in my formative years of high school and then college. It's going to be so great. It's going to be like reliving my youth. So all I can say is I hope Taylor Swift, out of this whole thing, gets what she wants, gets her life's work, has ownership over it, doesn't have to spend too much money literally buying back herself. Um, and I just hope that Scooter and you know goes off and does his thing and Taylor goes off and does her thing because... We're living in very tumultuous times already. I don't, I don't think we need any added stress here. And again, I don't think these two will ever sit down and break bread together. But I do think that there is a way where there's a will, there's a way. And I really hope they both have the willpower to make something happen where they can come to terms with a, a deal or something. But I'm sure it's not going to happen. But I'm sure more updates will come out. Um, and that's the best news we can get out of this is that she's re-recording her old songs. So... <clears throat> <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I said what I said in the words of Needy Leaks. Um, okay. Ugh, gosh, I love you, Taylor Swift. Okay, so the second story of the day, we're going to hop over to E! News. This is a little bit of a different story here. I'm just going to pull it up, actually, on my computer because it's, ooh, excuse me, easier to read from my computer than it is from my phone because, uh, honey, my eyes are great, but they ain't that great. A little bit of uh, Lori Laughlin Full House news with one of my favorites of... Um, the trio, and that is Candace Cameron Bure. Funny story, or great story about Candace Cameron Bure, who played uh, DJ Tanner on Full House, and of course, Fuller House. My best friend was on Fuller House on Netflix on an episode, and I'm a huge Candace, Candace, Candace Cameron Bure fan, not only because Kirk Cameron was on Growing Pains, one of my favorite shows of all time, but because she was on The View, and I love The View. Um, so he pulled the page from his script and had her autograph it, and I have it, and it's literally one of my most prized possessions. Um, Aside from something, you know, a few things I hold, you know, real sentimentally, sentimental, a sentimental value to myself. But anyways, okay, this is what me news. Candace Cameron Bure shares note she received from Lori Laughlin. <coughs> I'm so sorry, you guys, that's hurting your ears. I, have a, I just had dinner. I had Brussels sprouts and pasta with marinara. So delicious. Candace Cameron Bray shares notes she received from Lori Loftin after Fuller House final taping, finale taping. Fuller House fans are finally getting to see how Lori Loughlin said goodbye to her castmates. The actress who played Aunt Becky on the original Full House and on the reboot exited, exited partway through the filming of Fuller House season five and missed her involvement in the infamous college admission scandal. We all know, of course, now Lori Loughlin is behind bars and Felicity Huffman is done uh, did her community service and she's you know hopefully living her best life with her gorgeous husband william h macy and their two fabulous daughters and hopefully not on wisteria lane but anyways um on sunday november 15th fuller house actress candace cameron beret revealed the note signed by Lori along with a bouquet of pink roses the 56 year old appeared to write candace to congratulate her after the series finale which was taped following her own departure it read quote Dearest Candace, congratulations on a great one. Have a fabulous last week. I love you and miss you. Candace portrayed DJ Tanner uh, Fuller from 2016 to 2020. Uh, though Lori last appeared on the reboot in 2018, Candace posted several behind-the-scenes moments to celebrate the one-year anniversary of rapping Fuller House. She wrote on Instagram, quote, One year ago today we say it our final goodbyes to Fuller House. Five amazing seasons filled with love, laughter, and a few tears. I miss you all so much. In August, uh, Lori was sentenced to two months in prison after pleading guilty to committing wire and mail fraud. Her and her husband, 
Designer Massimo Giannali was sentenced to five months plus a couple out of pay a combined $400,000 fine for the role and having their daughters Olivia Jade and Bella Giannali admitted to USC through the scheme. Um, and then, uh, of course, the article goes on to uh, elaborate the details, of course, of everything that went down. Uh, but it's really nice that, I, I mean, basically, Lori watched Candace Cameron grow up, and I totally understand they probably have a really sentimental relationship, and Candace, I'm sure Candace knows what's going on. Um, and it's great that, you know, she cares about her, and I'm glad that they still have the relationship, but I really hope Lori Laughlin's doing well. I hope she's getting through her time in prison okay, and... Um, I think they, they said that she's going to be out around Christmas, which is really great. And I just, you know, I hope she's holding up well and being safe. Because, uh, of course, I can't imagine, you know, in the midst of being, living through a global pandemic and having to be in prison. You know, it must be terrifying, especially for her to be away from her kids and her husband. So, yeah, but I, I love Fuller House and I love, I love Candace Cameron Bray. She's one of my faves. I feel like I grew up with her too, but yeah. All right, third story of the day, hopping over to page six. Uh, someone else I also really, really love, Lena Dunham. Um, she's always, you know, very open and candid, and she's just one of those actresses, people, activists, who I just love, and it's fabulous. Lena Dunham opens up about not being able to have kids. Lena Dunham has opened up about her struggle to have biological kids. The girl's creator recounts in a new essay her failed attempt to have a child through in vitro fertilization and surrogacy, which she turned to after having her uterus, cervix, and one of her ovaries removed because of endometriosis and other chronic health problems. Wow. Quote, it turned out that after everything I'd been through, the chemical menopause surgeries by the dozen, the carelessness of drug addiction, my one remaining ovary was still producing eggs, she wrote in the piece, which is running the December 2020 issue of Harper's Magazine. Quote, if we successfully harvested them, they might be fertilized with a donor sperm and carried to term by a surrogate. The actress, who had gone to rehab after becoming addicted to opioids following her hysterectomy, finally had hoped that she'd be able to welcome her own child into the world, only to be disappointed again. Quote, I learned that none of my eggs were viable on Memorial Day. In the midst of a global pandemic, she wrote, when the doctor spoke my name with that symptomatic, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, sympathetic downturn, the apologetic doctor voice, I have come to know so well, my face crumbled in apprehension. The doctor told Dunham that five of her six eggs were unable to be fertilized, and the sixth had chromosomal issues, uh, meaning that all the eggs had failed to fertilize. Quote, I was wiping my eyes and thanking him again and again. She wrote, in my head, I was already telling my parents the only comfort for this failure of biology was biology, the inherent understanding of the people who made me. The 34-year-old actress said she had always dreamed of having a child, but her body... Um, uh, sorry, the article skipped down here. Uh, but her body would never allow it. When I was a little girl, I had already made every egg I was going to have. Um, she wrote, they were inside me destined to fail. I just didn't know it yet. I was a cocky woman to be sure that I would have what I want because I wanted it because I have always gotten it because the world told me it was mine to take. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, that's devastating. And I, I can't even imagine that feeling. I mean, I'm obviously a male, so I can't give birth. But, um, I mean, I, I will throw out a suggestion. I was adopted, and I think she should... I'm sure she's thought of it, but it, there's so many amazing, loving kids out there that need homes, and uh, just because you can't carry a child doesn't mean there's not a child out there that literally would basically be your own. I'm just throwing it out there, but I'm sure she knows that. But yeah, it's really great that she's so open and candid about her struggles and everything, and I think people who use their platform to inform uh, and use their celebrity for good, 
is always great. Um, so I'm so, so sorry she's going through all of this, but um, I, the world works in mysterious ways, and I'm one of those people who believes that everything happens for a reason. So I hope that through all this adversity, something great comes her way, and she gets the bebe, or a child of her dreams. Um, okay, first story of the day, a little bit of a Kardashian story. Scott Disick, this is from TMZ. I got a thing for daughters of famous folks. Hits the beach with 19-year-old Amelia Hamlin, of course, daughter of the queen of Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills Housewives, Lisa Rinna. Um, Scott Disick can't stay single for very long, and, oh my gosh, her daughter's gorgeous, but that makes sense, Lisa Rinna's gorgeous, too. And her other sister, I believe, her, uh, Amelia and, what's her other daughter's name? Amelia and Delilah. They're gorgeous girls. They're like the Hadids. Uh, let me start this article again. Scott Disick can't stay single for very long. In his latest flings with a 19-year-old with some very famous parents. Disick and Amelia Hamlin, daughter of Lisa Rinna and Harry Hamlin, were arm on shoulder Monday in Malibu. The two recently hung out at a Halloween party, so it appears things have gotten way past the friend zone. Uh-oh, you guys feel like I'm going to sneeze. Sorry. Nope. False alarm. As you know, 37-year-old Disick recently split with 22-year-old Sophia Ritchie after dating for three years. Sophia's dad, of course, is none other than Lionel Ritchie, so more famous parents. Um, I know that some people have taken issue, by the way, sorry to interrupt, with the age difference and Scott being 37 and him, uh, I guess, being interested in younger women. But here's the thing. The, the young women that he's dating are of age, and I'm sure part of it is being enthralled that he's got Disick, and he's a very handsome man. Um... But, you know, I guess love has no age number or whatever, whatever that saying is. Anyways, um, uh, Scott and Kourtney Kardashian, with whom he shares three kids, recently took a few trips together, but we're told the two were strictly co-parenting and having fun together as friends. Disick had a brief stint in rehab this year. Uh, the word was he was dealing with some lingering emotional traumas, including his parents' death. TNZ broke the story. He checked out early after a photo of him inside the facility was leaked to a media outlet. Yeah, that was horrible. Yeah, I mean... They're walking the beach, and they look gorgeous. Scott's so cute. I've, ooh, did you hear that little frog in my throat? I, Scott's like, I mean, not only does he kind of look like Leonardo DiCaprio, but it's like Leo, like, has a thing for these younger, beautiful models, and, you know, uh, I guess Scott Disick does too, but hey, when you're handsome, very wealthy, and part of the, literally the most famous family in the United States, um, I guess you can date who you want. So, yeah, I mean, Lisa Renner's daughter, obviously Lisa Renner is hot, hot right now because she's on Housewives and she's literally probably one of my favorites. So, yeah, I hope they have a successful fling or relationship or whatever it turns into. They could just be having fun. Nothing wrong with that. Everybody loves a little bit of fun. Um, and, yeah, and now we're going to bring ourselves to our final story of the day because it is literally like uh, it is basically 2005, 2006 again. Um, this is from E! News, and I don't know if you guys remember the story from... Hold on, I'm going to sniffle really quick, so I'm going to pause. Hold on. Sorry. I have a little bit of allergies because I was around a dog today that wasn't my dog, and my dog is a hypoallergenic dog, but the dog I was around today was not a hypoallergenic dog, so I'm a little bit, you know, if my voice sounds a little bit like a... What do you call it? Clogged up. Uh, okay, Isaiah Washington reignites Grey's Anatomy drama by calling out Katherine Heigl on Twitter. If you guys don't remember, Isaiah Washington was let go from the show after allegedly calling his co-star, um, T.R. Knight, a word that I will not ever, ever say, but it was a, a very derogatory word for a gay man. Okay, Grey's Anatomy alum Isaiah Washington has ignited his drama with former co-star Katherine Heigl. On Monday, November 16th, the actor took to Twitter with a message directed at the actress, quote, This woman once proclaimed that I should never be allowed to speak publicly again, he wrote. The world agreed with her proclamation back then and protested for my job and my head in 65 languages. I wish 
I was on Twitter in 2007 because I will never stop exercising my free speech. He added in the comment section, quote, I've learned that all money ain't good money and no amount of money can replace your dignity and integrity. Some call it living by your principles. It's unclear why the actress sent Catherine considering they feuded over a decade ago. However, their drama erupted in 2007 when the actress called out Isaiah for allegedly using a homophobic slur towards the Grey's Anatomy co-star T.R. Nutt. I remember this drama like it was literally yesterday. This was a crazy story. But of course, Shonda Ramsey having none of that bigotry on her set. Because you know Shonda has a no asshole policy, which I love. That's why she's such a boss, and that's why she moved to Netflix. She's literally going to be like a super producer. Anyways, to continue, while Catherine has yet to publicly address Isaiah's post, a source close to the actress tells E! News she's proud to have stood up for TR in 2007. Quote, Catherine stood up for her close friend twice when Isaiah publicly outed him and called him the word that begins with an F that I'm not going to say. That's hate talk, not free speech, the source said. She is proud that she stood up for him. Catherine is and always will be an advocate ally to the LGBTQ community. I believe that because Catherine seems like she's a gem regardless of the fact that, you know, she had a little bit of drama, but still, I love her. I love her movies. Um, as fans of 27 Dresses with James Marsden is literally one of my favorite rom-coms ever. As fans will recall, there was drama both on and off Grey's Anatomy. According to People magazine, Isaiah addressed an alleged onset encounter between himself and TR at the 2007 Globe Awards. Quote, no, I do not call TRA, F word that I'm never going to say. Never happened, never happened, Isaiah said in the press room at the time. There is no way I could do anything so vile and so horrible, not only to a castmate, but a fellow human being. Excuse me. Excuse me. Following the award ceremony, Catherine didn't hold back her thoughts on the ordeal. Quote, I'm going to be really honest right now. He needs to just not speak in public, period. She told Access Hollywood per people. I'm sorry. That did not need to be said. I'm not okay with it. When TR, when asked if TR was hurt, she responded, I don't see how you could not be under those circumstances. I just feel like this is something that should be very much in-house we need to deal with. She added, TR is my best friend. I will throw down for that kid. Months after the controversy, Isaiah spoke to Entertainment Weekly. By that time, ABC made the decision that he would not return to Grey's Anatomy following the show's season finale. The publication reported he had also issued a formal apology to TR and recorded a PSA with GLAAD, which aired during a Grey's Anatomy rerun. When asked how this would impact his career, the actor replied, quote, I can only apologize so many times. I can only accept so much responsibility. All the players involved have taken care of what we needed to take care of in-house, and the media took it in a different direction. He continued, I hope that everyone is happy for the outcome for Isaiah, but Isaiah will go on to do what I love to do. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much the end of the article. I remember that story, though. It was crazy. I mean, of course, it's never okay to ever, ever, ever use homophobic or bigotry language, regardless of what happened or not, allegedly, but yeah. Man, oh man, it's like it's 2005 again. Anyways, you guys, those are my stories of the day. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mistress of Pop Culture Podcast. I love doing this. It literally fulfills my life. It makes me so happy. You can check out my podcast streaming on Apple, Spotify, CastBox Radio, Pocket Cast, um, iTunes, the podcast app on the phone. Be safe. Wear your mask. We are still in a global pandemic. Be kind to one another. And uh, thank you again. I can only express gratitude because this is my favorite thing in the world. I can't believe it's a job. It's not a job because I love what I do. All right, everybody. I will be back with you all on Wednesday. Bye.